tonight, only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Streaming tonight, only on Disney+. Plus. Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerzday, October 16th, 2023. On the show today, two brand new surveys that hint about the future of hotel stays at Disney and Universal, plus news. Then in our main segment, Jim tells us about the history of Fantasmic, which made its Walt Disney World debut this week back in 1998. Let's get started by bringing in the man whose career as a substitute teacher at Hogwarts began by saying, welcome to invisibility class, students, and it's disappointing to see so many of you today. <laughs> it's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? Oh, I, I have a, a great affection. In fact, Len, you're, this weekend you're getting a, a VIP of tour of universal which means you're going to get to see the various harry potter things over there right now you've done those before or i've actually done only one vip tour of universal and that was many years ago so i'm assuming now that they're going to show us like the dungeon at hogwarts <laughs> and stuff like that right <laughs> transformers break room oh, <laughs> yeah, there we go yeah they're sitting there drinking all their energy drinks uh, yeah i have to admit when it comes to the the Harry Potter stuff. I mean, I, somebody was just talking in the past couple of days on social media about to the effect of if you look at what happened with Avatar and mm -hmm. with uh, Harry Potter, you know, the notion of these lands that only celebrate one IP. So it's just sort of the 30,000 foot view. Was this a good thing for the theme park industry or a bad thing? Yeah, when it's basically rolling big, rolling the dice big on one particular franchise for 20 years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a lot. And in the case of like, you know, Hogwarts for Universal, I mean, you're not going to turn that into, uh, you know, a zombie uh, zombie attraction in 20 years. It's, it's always going to be a castle. Yeah, I mean, the very notion of committing so specifically and it's not just the wizarding world of harry potter it's specifically that series of eight warner brothers movies you know i mean it's Stuart right. craig the art director of the movie was the one who consulted with universal creative and the folks at warner brothers are making noise about a brand new series of harry potter movies and it's going to be oh yeah they yeah. should they should totally do it yeah but do you hear the same sort of desire for additional content for like Avatar. Mm, yeah, you know, it's so weird that you say that because think about it. The Avatar, The Way of Water came out just last year, did $2 billion worldwide. Yeah, it uh, did great. But is anyone talking about it now? Yeah. Is it driving, is it driving attendance to Animal Kingdom? Hmm. No. So yeah, that's the risk that they take. Anyway. Abs absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Mm -hmm. Thanks to new subscribers, Madeline Talent, Alex O'Connor, Bridget Hurley, and Chris Magic. And longtime subscribers, RM Class, Mark Hodgkinson, Patrick Kane, and Carl Benner. Jim, this is the team at ESPN proposing to Major League Baseball that celebrities throw at the last pitch of the game instead of the first, thereby boosting ratings for Disney's broadcast network. The team's entire presentation to Bob Iger was just two sentences, and it was this. 
Bottom of the ninth, ladies and gentlemen, two out, two on. Your Chicago Cubs down by one. In for relief for the New York Mets, Broadway's own Bette Midler. True, true story. Wow. <laughs> Wouldn't that be more interesting than throwing out the first pitch? <laughs> she does have a really good, strong right arm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the knuckleball is there. There so, we go. Know. There we go. All right, folks, one quick note before we do the news. We're moving off of Bandcamp and onto Patreon, beginning with our show on January 1st, 2024. Visit patreon.com slash jimhillmedia for more details, including a preview of our new video series with Imagineer Jim Scholl, showing how your favorite Disney attractions got built. We've already started moving the exclusive shows over to Patreon, too, and we're saving all of your names and original subscription dates for future show openings. All right, on to the news. Folks, the news is sponsored by Touring Plans Travel Agency. Touring Plans can help book your next trip. Plus, it comes with a free Touring Plans subscription. Check us out at touringplans.com slash dish. All right, Jim, the big news this week was uh, Disney's announced a set of changes around prices and policies. Hmm. And Jim, every show should begin with a round of self-congratulations. On our September 4th show this year, we answered a listener question from Sean about how to visit the Magic Kingdom in January of 2024 as efficiently as possible. And our answer assumed that the 2 p.m. park hopping rule would be gone by then. Hmm. Jim, this week, Disney announced that all-day park hopping returns to Walt Disney World beginning January 9th, 2024. So congratulations, Sean, on that. And did you buy a lottery ticket? I mean, you predicted this. Well, we kind of we kind of had a hint, right? We had, yeah, we, we did. I, I expected it would be announced in January. But the fact that they moved it up now, I think, Jim, this was a... Uh, You've heard in public relations or in communications Mm -hmm. the term um, bad news sandwich. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. So this was the good news bread Mm -hmm. around the bad news sandwich. And the bad news started with uh, Disney increasing the cost of tickets. Mm -hmm. So the the big thing here, uh, water park prices went up by $5.00. Standard parking at theme parks went up by $5. Preferred parking is still variable mm-hmm. and ranges from $45 to $55. Disney moved to date-based pricing for tours like Keys to the Kingdom. It used to be $114 every day. Mm-hmm. Now it's $109 to $149 per person, depending on when you do it. Mm-hmm. But the big thing was with the annual passes. So uh, in Walt Disney World, the Pixie Dust Pass increased by $40. That's 10%. The Pirate Pass went up by $50, that's 6.7%. And then the Sorcerer and Incredit Pass went up by $30 and $50, respectively, 3.1% to 3.6%. Just as a reminder, I checked the Bureau of Labor Statistics Consumer Price Index page before the show. Mm -hmm. U.S. inflation is currently 3.7%. So actually, Jim, the Sorcerer Pass and the Incredit Pass did not go up as much as inflation, but the Pixie Dust and Pirate Pass did. Yeah. And, and and you did see how the, the language Disney used to justify this about the, you know, we're about to invest quite heavily in our Florida and California properties. That's why you're seeing these. But the one-two punch of, did you also see the price increase that was just revealed for Disney Plus subscribers? That they're jumping the annual subscription fee by $60? No, I didn't see that. How many annual, how many subscribers do they have? That's an excellent question. Much like Netflix, Disney keeps that a little tight to its vest. Yeah, but sixty dollars a year times you know a few million people. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Pretty soon, pretty soon you're talking about real money. Mm-hmm. There you go. The more interesting thing for me, Jim, about the annual passes was how much more they went up in Disneyland. Mm-hmm. 
versus Walt Disney World. So in Disneyland, yeah. the cheapest pass, the Imagine Pass, mm-hmm. went up $50 or 11.1%, which is more than any pass mm-hmm. in Walt Disney World went up. But the Enchant Pass went up by $150 or 21.5%. Mm-hmm. Believe also went up by $150 or 13.7%. Mm-hmm. The only thing that didn't go up that much was the Inspire Pass, which went up by $50 or 3.12%, right? So those are that's way more I don't know. than Walt Disney World went up. Yeah. Absolutely. What's your take on that? For the past 10 years, Disney has been very aggressive about raising the prices of annual passes out in California because there were so many Californians who were using Disneyland as, well, it's Friday night, I'm going to drive out there. Yeah, you it's know. the mall. Yeah, and, and that was the thing. They, one person in a car would drive, take up a spot in the parking structure, walk into the park, having eaten outside and just sort of sit yeah. there and hang with their friends. And it was just the whole notion of, no, this is this is not our business model. And so they began to systematically go after that specific fan group with the notion of what's the price point that they'll step away. Or that, it, that it's, it's at least worth our while to let them in, right? There we it's go. one or the other. No, that's the Either other point. don't come or make it make it worth it to us, yeah. There we go. Every time we, uh, we talk about Disney's approach to annual pass holders mm-hmm. in Disneyland. And we know that like a number of them, to, to your point, just go in and, and, and walk around. Yeah. It reminds me of that scene in Bull Durham mm-hmm. where the coach goes, you know what we have here? A bunch of lollygaggers. <laughs> lollygagging around. <laughs> like, like, that's what Bob Iger is probably like in these meetings. You know what we've got here? Lollygaggers. Hey. Lollygagging around. <laughs> Adventureland. <laughs> go over there. Buy a $30 popcorn bucket, damn it. Yeah. I mean, the other thing it tells me, though, is, you know, if Disney's confident that they can raise prices this much, Mm -hmm. it means that they think that demand for annual passes in California is way stronger, at least for the first three levels of annual pass, than in Florida. And I think Disney thinks that most Californians are going to take these increases Mm -hmm. in stride. If you look at the monthly payment increases Mm -hmm. for these plans, it's roughly an increase of four to twelve fifty a month, right? So a couple cups of coffee. (laughs) <laughs> you know, per month, not a big deal. But in in world, it's even less. Yeah. The monthly increase is like tops out at like four dollars and twenty five cents. I mean, that's half of a public sandwich, right? I think we have a very different attitude in Florida when it comes to locals. It's like, hey, yeah. we, we want you to come here, come eat at Disney Springs, that sort yeah. of thing. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's harder to get to the parks uh, than it is, in, especially the Magic Kingdom. You know, yep. than it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but yeah. So I think, I think this reflects uh, soft demand mm. uh, in-world more than anything else. I agree. I agree. Also, Jim, uh, Disney announced Candlelight Processional narrators. Mm-hmm. So fan favorites Neil Patrick Harris, Lisa Ling, and Marley Matten will be back. Plus nine new narrators, Jim. So uh, Luis Fonzi and Margaret. And I didn't know Jim and Margaret's name is hyphenated. I always thought her first name was Anne and her last name was Margaret. But she's Anne Margaret like Madonna. Like that's one word, her first name. How old is she now? I mean, I, 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 I'm going to be intrigued to see uh, you know, her at uh, the podium. <laughs> She actually knew the wise men. <laughs> oh, oh, Len said that. I didn't say that. Len said that. Okay. <laughs> I, I remember getting the frankincense and the myrrh. Anyway. There we go. Uh, you know. Brendan Fraser, uh, Eva Longoria, uh, Joey McIntyre from New Kids on the Block, Sterling K. Brown from This Is Us, mm-hmm. Jordan Fisher from uh, Turning Red and Moana, and Audra McDonald from uh, the 2017 Beauty and the Beast. Nice. Oh, cool. Yeah. All right. 
Yeah, so lots of lots of fun there. I we knew about some of these, but I think uh, Disney was holding off until the first part of the uh, Hollywood strike mm-hmm. got resolved to announce them. So I think that's uh, that's why we waited here. Mm-hmm. But we knew we knew some of these people were coming back. All true. All right, Jim, we've got time for surveys. Mm-hmm. Listeners Christy Shula and Lucy Howard sent in a brand new Disney hotel survey mm-hmm. that's trying to figure out what amenities and at what price point you'd choose a Disney hotel over an offsite hotel. Mm-hmm. So this is one of the most extensive Disney hotel surveys that we've seen. Mm-hmm. And it has a bunch of what-if scenarios mm-hmm. here. Uh, just to set the baseline here, mm-hmm. Disney tells everyone or reminds everyone about certain terms mm-hmm. when the survey starts. So it goes over things like, this is what early theme park entry is. Mm-hmm. This is what extended evening theme park hours are. This is what theme park parking is. Mm-hmm. It actually talks about bringing back airport transportation like Magical Express. So that's apparently Magical Express's return is on the table, Jim. Well, my understanding from folks at Guest Relations, that this, whenever anybody is in, you know, a, a gripe session with Disney about how things have changed at the park, that always comes in. Well, it, uh, going, going back to our uh, news thing about uh, park hopping mm-hmm. rules, or uh, go, going back to all-day park hopping in uh, January of 2024, Jim, we're returning to 2018. That's what this is going to be, you know. So uh, I, I, for one, welcome it. Okay. All right. So Magical Express is on the table in this Disney survey. Mm-hmm. It talks about resort transportation. It talks about magic bands. Mm-hmm. talks about Genie Plus, Memory Maker, and the dining plan as well. Okay. So here are the interesting questions. The mm-hmm. first one is, it almost looks like a spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. Every column mm-hmm. is a different kind of lodging option. Okay. Right. So one of them is Disney Deluxe Resort Hotels. The next one is Disney Moderate Hotels. Mm-hmm. Then Value Hotels. Okay. Then Select Deluxe Hotels, which means, I guess, you're not going to pick it. We'll tell you where you're staying. Mm-hmm. But then it also includes off-property moderate resorts, off-property value resorts, and timeshares and rental homes as specific categories. And that's fine as far as the listing options go. But then, Jim, it gives you a sample price per night Mm -hmm. for each of those so that you can say, would I stay at this particular hotel Mm -hmm. for this amount of money with the amenities we're about to talk about? Okay. So I'll give you some examples. And Disney's proposing this. And the reason why I'm I'm mentioning specific prices here Mm -hmm. is Disney's going to change the prices in the next question and change the amenities and see see how you answer. All right. So the average price per night for a deluxe hotel, Disney says $584. Mm -hmm. For a moderate, $359. Mm -hmm. For a value, $174. If you let them choose the deluxe hotel, $229, Mm -hmm. which is somewhere between value and moderate. Okay. Um, and then for offsite pricing, it was saying uh, $149 for moderates, $139 for value resorts, and then NA for rental uh, homes or timeshares. Mm-hmm. No discounts available. All the Disney hotels get theme park entry. It's specific about saying the offsite hotels don't. Mm-hmm. And then it says, you know, airport transportation not included, evening, uh, extended evening theme park hours only included for the deluxe resorts. Mm-hmm. And it gives you the option of the dining plan, but interestingly, only if you stay at something that Disney identifies as a deluxe resort, a moderate, or a value resort. If you say select deluxe hotels, which I guess, again, is Disney just picking it for you, Mm -hmm. the dining plan wouldn't be available. So they could say select deluxe hotels, and that could mean like the swan, the dolphin. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then it asks a couple of things. At this price point... 
how many nights would you spend at each of these hotel options? So it asks you specifically, if you were staying at a deluxe resort hotel with these amenities, right, how much would you pay? And then if you're staying at a Disney moderate and so on for each of them. And the other interesting thing is that it asks you to choose your ticket and it gives you a bunch of ticket options. And at the bottom of it, I really like how Disney did this survey. It actually keeps a running total of everything you're choosing. So Disney's really trying to mimic the decision-making process for families that are trying to fit in as much vacation as they can hmm. for a specific trip budget. I get and, that. Yeah. And we've done, we've done something similar with the unofficial guide for years. We originally started out as sort of like a thought exercise. Mm-hmm. And the thought exercise was this. If you've got this many adults and this many kids in your family, what kind of vacation could you get if you spent $1,000? Right. So like how many nights at an offsite value resort could you stay? How many nights on site could you stay and so on? And we did it for a thousand dollars, fifteen hundred, two thousand, twenty five hundred, and so on, up to four thousand dollars. And the thing that we were trying to figure out there was, Mm -hmm. you know, for people who start off with a specific price in mind, Mm -hmm. right? We're gonna budget three thousand dollars for our family vacation mm-hmm. they want to know basically what the trade-offs or what the options are there you know mm-hmm. can i how many more days can i can i stay in walt disney world mm-hmm. if i choose a value resort versus a deluxe resort right mm-hmm. so that's that's what disney's trying to get to here okay now the next thing the next set of slides mm-hmm. presents a set of hotel discounts where the hotel is discounted but the ticket prices are slightly higher and the dining plans aren't options so, for example, the Lux hotels go down to four hundred ninety a night. The moderate hotels go from three twenty four a night to two fifty nine. The value resorts go from two nineteen to one eighty, and so on. It gives you, you know, this. You still get the same theme park entry. You still get the same extended uh, evening hours. You get airport transportation with this discount. So it says included for no additional price mm-hmm. with a Disney Resort hotel package, but it doesn't let you have the dining plan. If we go to the the next option, the select deluxe hotels, they actually jump yeah. the price significantly for that. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, it goes from uh, like two twenty nine to three oh nine. Yeah, so that's kind of an interesting inside baseball decision. You know that. that oh, and they also increased the price of the off property uh, resorts as well to one seventy nine and one forty nine yep. from one forty nine and one thirty nine. Ah, clever, clever. The evil geniuses at Disney who write the surveys, who are looking for the results ahead of sending out the survey. And then there's a third set of price options mm-hmm. where the deluxe hotels. So it, it's interesting, Jim, because you notice it, it crosses out mm-hmm. the list or the rack rate price of $729 mm-hmm. and uh, shows a price of $546, which, not for nothing, is more expensive yeah. than the previous price just shown, right? Yeah. But it gives you uh, early theme park entry, same as always. Mm-hmm. Gives you extended evening theme park hours only for the deluxes. Does not include airport air transportation, and only makes the dining plan available the the regular dining plan available to deluxe resort guests. The the moderates and the values only can only get the quick service plan. So it actually says for the regular dining plan, not available, and the ticket prices go up. <laughs> so what do you think they're actually fishing for here? When you look at this set of questions and, and the variables and that sort of thing, 
what are they trying to gather here to, you know, and face it, these are the, uh, what they, info they gather here impacts what yeah. they do in early 2024 or thereabouts. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we're going to talk about that in a, in a second with the uh, universal survey. I think here they're trying to figure out what kind of value people put on things like Magical Express, because it's in some options and not in another. And also the availability of the dining plan is is in some of these screens, but not others. So like, let's say, for example, you wanted to stay at a moderate resort, but you wanted the regular dining plan. Hmm. In the third option, that's not available. The only thing you can pick hmm. if you're staying at a moderate resort is the quick service dining plan. So they're, they're testing here whether that 20% discount off the rack rate mm -hmm. is enough for you to accept the quick service plan. Or would you rather pay rack rate and get the dining plan because you think that's a better deal? Okay. Yeah. So it's, okay. I, th I think they're looking at the perceived value of things. Mm -hmm. Or you know, the other thing is, let's say that your budget for the, for the trip is $3,000. Mm -hmm. If it's $3,000, by them changing the cost of things between questions... Mm -hmm. They try and figure out what's the most important component of your stay, right? It's, is it the hotel, right? So would you, would you stay at a cheaper hotel mm -hmm. but for more nights mm -hmm. and with these amenities? So there's a lot, a lot of going on here. My sense is that there are other versions of this survey that we haven't quite seen because, again, the prices are different. Mm -hmm. But the fact that Disney's telling you how much it's all going to cost yeah. makes me think that they're trying to target families with a specific budget or price point. Uh, in mind. So great survey. Really, really interesting. Just fascinated to see what 2024 brings. And speaking of which, let's let's pivot now to <laughs> Universal. Yeah, Universal also uh, also sent out a really interesting survey. So uh, thanks to Clay Wallace, Eric Wildegrub, Paul Mooser, and several others for sending in the survey. Jim, we know that Epic Universe is going to open in the summer of 2025. Yep. But NBC Universal is a publicly traded company, and they have revenue targets to meet every 90 days. That's every quarter between now and the summer of 2025. And so Universal wants to avoid a scenario where nobody visits a theme park in 2024 because they're all waiting for Epic Universe in 2025. Right. So they're floating some interesting two-trip ideas in this new survey. And so one option is this, and here's an offer that, that Universal is making to you. Book a package to visit before Epic Universe opens and another after it opens and receive free Universal Express Unlimited at the studios and Islands of Adventure and a hotel room upgrade on the second trip. How would you rate the value of this offer? Excellent, good, for, fair, poor, very poor. Right. And then the next question after that, and th these questions, you know, the how would you rate the value mm -hmm. is the same on every option. And then the next question after this is how likely are you to visit Universal with this offer? And the interesting thing, Jim, about this survey, there's two, actually two interesting things. The first one is they actually propose five separate offers and are, and they're basically doing like A, B, C, D, E testing on them. The second offer is this. Remember, the first one is book a trip now and it will give you express pass when you come back. Mm -hmm. This offer is buy a seven night hotel and ticket package now and before the opening of Epic Universe and get three nights and three days for free. Okay. <laughs> the third option is mm -hmm. get up to a $1,000 dining gift card when you book a hotel and ticket package before the opening of Epic Universe. 
the next option, get three, three for free, free room upgrades, free breakfasts, and free ticket upgrades mm. when you buy a hotel and ticket package before the opening of Epic Universe. And Jim, here was the interesting thing. The last offer was the first, the first version of this survey that I got. Mm-hmm. This was the last offer. Kids five and under play and stay free when you buy a hotel and ticket package mm-hmm. for travel between now and before the opening of Epic Universe. But here's the super interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Depending on how old your kids are, mm-hmm. that age limit changed for different people that sent us in the survey. Mm-hmm. So some people got a survey that says kids nine and under. Mm-hmm. And when I emailed them like, hey, you wouldn't happen to have kids that are between the ages of five and nine, are you? <laughs> do you? And they're like, oh, well, I have a seven-year-old. Why do you ask? <laughs> I'm like, oh. Wow. Like, Universal knows. Okay. Yeah. Okay. They see you when you're sleeping. They know when you're awake. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so uh, Paul was the one who sent in the survey with a different uh, different age limit on kids, and I think it was targeted directly to him. But the uh, the other question that he got was, Get free breakfast every day of your stay mm-hmm. when you buy a hotel and ticket package, and, you know, until the beginning of until uh, Epic Universe opens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so it looks like Universal is trying to figure out what's going to move the needle over the next eighteen months mm-hmm. until Epic Universe opens. They also borrowed from the Disney Playbook. For example, late next spring, early next summer. We'll get DreamWorks Land opening at Universal Studios Florida, which when the original uh, Mickey's Birthday Land opened at the Magic Kingdom, that was the late spring, early summer of 88, the year before the studios opened. It was the same thing. Yeah, you know, it, was the, it was the thing that we need. We needed to bring in people for something. Yeah. We need something to bring in people before this big park opens. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so super interesting surveys. If anyone else gets a variance of this, mm-hmm. uh, please send them in, especially if the, uh, the age limit changes on kids for Universal or for Disney, if you're getting different prices mm-hmm. for the hotels, because those price combinations are super interesting. All right, Jim, we've got time for a couple of listener questions. Uh, Here's a quick update for listener Rich Howard, who, uh, Jim, you remember, wrote in last month with a question about when Disneyland plans to close Haunted Mansion in early 2024 because they're going on their family trip in January Mm -hmm. and want to know when it closes. So, uh, Rich, I'm told that the closing date for Disneyland's Haunted Mansion is still up in the air. Mm -hmm. But, Jim, I did hear this. When it reopens later in the year, it's going to reopen with Haunted Mansion holiday overlay in place mm-hmm. so the ride doesn't have to shut down again a few weeks later for this to, to bring in the seasonal overlay. So if it comes back during summer, it's going to come back as Haunted Mansion holiday. Yeah. But again, just understand that between the expansion of the queue and the construction of the new carriage right. house retail space, they will be lucky if they can get that open by late summer, early September. This is an interesting you know, place to have to build. This spot between the brand new uh, Tiana's Palace restaurant opening up, which is usually popular, and then Bayou Adventure, do we have yeah. a, a ballpark yet on when that's going to open in California? They're still saying 2024, right? Yeah, I've heard 2024, but I haven't heard a, a date. They said late 2024 in World, but I'm assuming it's the same thing in Land as well. Got to be. Okay. All right, one more uh, listener question. This is actually from uh, Daniel Taylor and Brian Peterson, who both write in to point out that the loading process for Peter Pan in Shanghai, remember we talked about this uh, last week where you said uh, mm-hmm. that uh, it could handle 2,900 guests per hour. Mm-hmm. Well, Walt Disney World's version is maybe a third of that. They both wrote in to say that uh, could it could be possible because Shanghai loads two flying pirate ships at the same time instead of one, mm-hmm. and the ride vehicles move faster in Shanghai 
than in Walt Disney World. So the faster speed, double loading, and five people per vehicle instead of three mm-hmm. explains a lot of the increased capacity. I still think, Jim, 2,900 an hour is the like upper, upper limit if it's even doable. But, yeah. but you can definitely get to 2,000 an hour. I, I spent a lot of time looking at some, uh, some YouTube videos here and timing things. Mm-hmm. It's possible, yeah. Are they physically throwing the people on the vehicle? You have to be all the way in there before the vehicle starts. Yeah, yeah I don't, all right. uh, you know, so, things are different there. So I get that. Okay. <laughs> All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim gives us the history of Fantasmic at Walt Disney World. Strap your mermaids to the mast. We'll be right back. Jim, a couple weeks ago, we did a, a story about the River Haunt, which I believe was an update to Fantasmic in Disneyland, right? Well, it was it was the idea that they originally talked about that eventually led to Fantasmic. Ah. We're tying this to just one attraction. We should do a show that embraces the whole park. But again, you get why they they went this way. Because the the mansions in New Orleans Square and the viewing area they were hoping to do was the the chunk of the Rivers of America that guests could stand in uh, in New Orleans Square and look out at the water at the end of Tom Sawyer's Island. So it seemed like a natural. The river haunt gave way to the Fantasmic that opened in May of 1992 and, and Len hit straight out of the box. In fact, first yep. summer, there was such a huge demand and the crowds were so great that for a time, they ran three Fantasmics a night. They did an 8.30, a wow. 10, and an 11.30. And they had to have it done before midnight because that's when the noise ordinance kicked in. So as happens when California has a big hit, Florida takes notice. Florida's like, you've got a Tom Sawyer Island. We've got a Tom Sawyer Island. One of the things immediately they realized is like, oh, we can't do this at the Magic Kingdom. New Orleans Square at Disneyland is an area that guests walk through. If, if you're yep. watching the parade, the parade at Disneyland enters at the Small World Gate, travels down Matterhorn Way, goes onto Main Street USA, and then ducks out backstage where it's parked between Main Street and Tomorrowland. Whereas yeah. at Walt Disney World, very different parade route. You know, it right. enters just behind Splash Mountain, rolls up through Frontierland and yeah. Liberty Square, goes around the hub and then down Main Street, and then ducks backstage between Adventureland and, and Main Street. But it's just the place where we'd have people stand to watch Fantasmic, <laughs> uh, you know. Uh, They're already sitting there for the parade. There we go. <laughs> there we and. And then when you factor in that what they, they were observing from what was happening at Disneyland is people were showing up at yeah. 3 o'clock in the afternoon, throwing down blankets and grabbing uh, their spot for Fantasmic hours ahead of time. And it's like... Lollygaggers, Jim. Lollygaggers. There we around. go. But that's the thing. It was... <laughs> It was not only going to impede presenting the nighttime parade, but it was also going to impede the three three o'clock parade. So it's like, yeah, okay, yeah. we can't do it here. But then it's like, if you make that decision, you're suddenly really handicapping the show. Because think about it. If you don't do Fantasmic out on the roofs of America in Florida, you yeah. can't use the Richard F. Irvine oh, or the Liberty the Bell. Ru- you got you to build a boat now. You got to build a boat. You, you can't use uh, your, your, your rafts to Tom Sawyer's Island for your Disney Princess oh. and your Jungle Book number. You can't use your frontier land-facing portion of Tom Sawyer's Island as your main stage or the Rivers of America itself as a canvas right. for your water screens. And never mind the deal breaker that two of this park's 
really huge thoroughs, Splash Mountain, uh, well, uh, soon to be Tiana's Bayou Adventure, and Thunder Mountain, yep. are also going right down here at the waterfront. Oh, yeah, you can't cut off uh, traffic to two anchor attractions on that part of the uh, the park. Yeah, basically, you would just force everybody into Tomorrowland and Fantasyland. Yeah, so not going to happen. So you move through the property. Epcot, not an option. This park already has a popular nighttime show. The original Illuminations debuted in January of 88 and would continue in that version through September of 96. More to the point, World Showcase Lagoon with its 40 acres, uh, fantastic, would have been oh. swallowed up. It would be like doing oh, a it's puppet huge. show, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, it, yeah, out yeah, in the yeah, middle yeah. of that body of water, which leaves Disney, MGM, now Hollywood Studios. And that studio, already in the middle of its Sunset Boulevard expansion project with a couple of high-ticket items that were proposed for the side of the park, uh, Dick Tracy Crime Stoppers and the South Seas Supper Club that have, have <laughs> fallen off the table, largely because both the Dick Tracy film and The Rocketeer did poorly at the box office summer of 90, oh. summer 91. Okay, so the studios need something. Need something, and you know, they're looking to fill these two huge holes on, on Sunset Boulevard's attraction lineup. So East Coast version of Fantasmic, it's a godsend. But even with the riverboat and the raft yeah. and you know, having Tom Sawyer's Island already in place, the original Disneyland version of Fantasmic costs $30 million to build. And then every time you present that show, Len, it's $30,000 between the pyro and the, the support staff and the cast members on stage. Oh, yeah. Oh, and that's in like a 1988 dollars. Yeah, that's yeah, but, now, but, now you're talking about real money. I have been told flat out by folks from the opening summer, they said, oh, geez, well, yeah, $30,000. But we made that up in those tchotchkes, the glow-in-the-dark necklaces, the it, spinning it, things, you know. It's the, uh, it's the cavalcade effect. There we go. There we you, go. Know, you know what? You put up some entertainment, people people will walk walk uh, behind it and spend money. Yeah, no, no. That, that's it exactly. That's it exactly. <sighs> Beautiful. But okay. East Coast version. Okay. So all, all they need now, Jim, is uh, a show idea, a river. A riverboat. Stop me when I start when I start to sound crazy here. <laughs> well, no, but they need everything. In fact, Jim Shul okay. taught Mr. Tess and I the term that Disney uses for this when literally you have to start with it's called a green field. It's a green field yeah, project. Green field, yeah. So they need every single component. You know, the space where the audience set, the backstage areas, the actual performance space, and as you mentioned, all the boats that the characters travel on, every chunk of that needs to be built so the Walt Disney World managers when the original price tag got laid down on the table they're like, whoa 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 wait a minute we already have a body of water at this theme park Echo Lake <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna put Fantasmic on Echo Lake it's six inches deep <laughs> no that was the thing I mean no one's gonna drown <laughs> no you know dude you would be so close to the fireworks. Oh, yeah. You could, gotta, you, you could have the guests light it off. Just think of the <laughs> amount of money you would save on, on pyro cast members. You could just, hey, you got a lighter? You got a Zippo? Yeah, okay. When, when, when this music cue hits, you like this. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Enjoy the free souvenir lack of eyebrows. But the the other part of this that, that was eventually, you know, cooler heads prevailed. They were like, okay, let me explain to you what happens in Anaheim. I'm surprised they didn't go with like Grand Floridian Pool as his option. <laughs> there we go. There. They, you know, uh, but yeah, they <laughs> all right. Fifteen thousand people per show yeah. stand in New Orleans Square, and and by the way, stand. That's also a, yeah. an issue here because remember, Florida and California have very different demographics. 
you have an older population. So the whole notion was in California, they are perfectly happy to stand in New Orleans Square. Whereas yeah. for, for Walt Disney World, we're going to have to build seats. Yeah, it's a different demographic. They've got uh, more ECVs. It's oh. just a, it's a different it's a different visitor profile. Absolutely, absolutely. And Sunset Boulevard and Tower of Terror open in July of 1994. And oh, there you go. Decision is made. Okay, we've, if we're going to build this performance facility, which will have seats for 6,900 people and standing room for additional 3,000. This has to go backstage between Sunset Boulevard and Hollywood Boulevard. And originally, also, we're doing this at a studio park. It should be tailored for a studio park. So I was lucky enough to actually get to see the storyboards for what was at that time called, and this is 96, by the way, Phantasmic Hollywood. I love, by the way, that you uh, you mentioned the specific year that you saw it, just to uh, make sure that the Statue of Limitations has run out. You always enjoy those conversations with Disney World security. Exactly. You went where? And it's like, well, I was in a conference room backstage at Feature Animation Florida, but I was walked there by one of your cast members with my daughter. Exactly. There you go. We were taking part in Goofy's studio mystery tour. They needed some place to park us and they put us in this room. But I remember vividly the boards lined the walls of this conference room. And Fantastic Hollywood actually starts out it's a tropical island. It's not Tom Sawyer's Island. You have palm trees. You have a oh. volcano standing oh. in the background. And the show starts with Mickey walking along the shore. And he notices that there, sticking up out of the water's edge, is the lamp from Aladdin. Oh. So he picks it up. He rubs it. And Robin Williams' genie appears. Oh, classic. So what powered the story of this show is not Mickey's imagination, but rather the three wishes the genie grants him. Oh, that's a great story. It's a great storyline. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Right. And this is being done for the studio park. And yeah. so what they wanted to do was lean a yeah. bit more into Disney's live action catalog. Yeah, yeah. films, so, films, films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. So yeah. one scene in this nighttime show would have involved a full-size Nautilus suddenly coming out from backstage, around, out from behind Imagination <laughs> Island. Wait, what year's this, Jim? This is 1996. Again, these Because you know two years later, mm -hmm. it would be a Disney Cruise Line ship coming around the corner. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we go. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, but, but here's the thing. Coming out from the other side of the island at the exact same time is a giant squid. And they, they meet in the center of the lagoon. <laughs> You have Nemo and Ned Land on the Nautilus with harpoons poking at the fake giant squid. You know, which again, fun for the whole family. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing like a battle to the death with a giant squid that really just screams family go. entertainment. Okay. <laughs> there is a very difficult meeting in late 1996, early 1997 about Phantasmic Hollywood. It's like... The folks in charge of this project just sit down, all of the creatives in the room, and say, look, we cannot afford to totally reinvent the wheel with this show. We still have to have the money to build yeah. our 57-foot-tall mountain that hides all of our backstage areas. We have to yep. build an 80-foot-long, 70,000-pound steamboat uh, for the finale, which has to carry 26 characters. I'm surprised that you that, that they decided to keep the steamboat if it was that big 
and that expensive, you would think like, I mean, give them credit, mm-hmm. right? They, they, they committed to it and they, they, I guess they thought it was an integral part of the show, but oh, man. Yeah. yeah. No, from the reaction of the folks in California to when the Mark Twain comes around with, you know, that, oh, that yeah, okay. you know, all of those sparklers and that sort of thing, you know, you needed that yeah. moment in the show. But remember, also, the bulk of the show is carried its projections on water screens. And just think about Mm. all you have to build backstage to support these three 100-foot-wide, 50-foot-tall water screens. Oh, huge water tanks, pressurization units, backups, power. Yeah. No, no, no. It it was just one of these things where it's, guys, I'm sorry. I know you want to do an original show. We can't afford to do original show. We have to literally take... Giant chunks of what's done in, out in Anaheim and just replicate yeah. that here, right adapted, down yeah. to the dragon head on the end of a cherry picker that that breeds fire. Now, not an exact clone. Middle of the original version of Florida's Fantasmic had that weird Pocahontas vignette where it was bizarre. Yeah, I mean, it's just you know the whole notion of guys with you know because again, that's why I go to Florida. I want to see guys working with shovels or being menaced by rolling piles of logs, and it was just sort of like, but but as it was explained to me, it's like, look, this is the one remnant of Fantasmic. Hollywood, because think about you know that you have your rolling logs. It's a stunt show. Oh, that'd have been a nice little nod. Okay, yeah. yeah. All right, fair. So, all right. Anyway, this reimagined, value-engineered <laughs> version of Fantasmic opens in Florida, October fifteenth, nineteen ninety-eight. Uh, Twenty-six yeah. minute long. Uh, has a cast of forty-six, who, by the way, are constantly running backstage and changing costumes. Yeah, because it's uh, it's 40, 46 cast members, but there's like eighty roles. Right? Oh yeah, yeah. The monkeys that you see dancing on those floats with King Louis were Native Americans battling settlers in the Pocahontas number. Anyway, all right, show, like so many things at Walt Disney World, went dark during the pandemic, finally returned yep. in November of last year with the uh, the Pocahontas number that Len and I talked about being cut yep. with now kind of a, a Disney best of. We have the mm-hmm. Aladdin chase. We have Elsa singing Show Yourself. Yep. And then Pocahontas followed by Moana, followed by Mulan. Yeah, because it was, it was sort of a slow moment in the show, and that's it's not what Disney wants in uh, in the middle of its uh, no, nighttime. No, 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 no I, I, I get that, but I, it, Len, you know, there's still a part of me that wishes the show had uh, the, the Twenty Thousand League scene, uh, uh, largely because of, and I forgot to mention this detail earlier. While huh. Nemo and Ned Land are battling the giant squid. On shore, on the island, this giant pipe organ has just risen up from, you know, <laughs> below the stage. All right. And Mickey is... And Mickey's on the organ. <laughs> exactly. Da, 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 da. But that's the thing. You know, he's hammering. Oh, my God. And, that would have been amazing. Well, and, and the thing is, the, the, the pipe organ was modeled after the one in the Grand Ballroom at the, the, the Haunted Mansion. And the kicker, the beauty oh. touches, as he's hammering on the keys and these big gouts of steam are shooting out of the pipes every time he hits the keys. But there's a mirror, you know, like the, the one at the Haunted Mansion, there's a mirror sure. in the middle of the pipes. And as a member of the audience, you can see Mickey is wearing a half-face mask like the Phantom of the Opera. Oh. So it's like, don't look at me, I'm hideous! You know, it's like... 
So. Bravo. Whoever came up with yeah. that. Wow. Oh, and, 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 oh, God. The plush. Just the plush they would have sold, sold the Phantom I'm Mickey. Serious. Like, I would, I would buy that plush. That's I would amazing. Buy that, plush, that is too. fantastic. Wow. Yeah. Uh, you know, who knows? They, they, they revise the show from time to time. Who knows? Okay. Let, let's put it in order now for Phantom Mickey hammering away at the pipes. Fantastic. What a great story. Yeah. Glad to share it. <laughs> All right, folks, that's going to do it for the show today. You can help support our show and Jim Hill Media by subscribing over at patreon.com slash Jim Hill Media. We're posting a brand new exclusive show about the Spectro Magic Parade, plus our new behind-the-scenes videos with Imagineer Jim Scholl. You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, Len, at touringplans.com. Also, Jim and I will be doing a live podcast from the Theme Park Play Workshop at MIT's Game Lab at 6.30 p.m. on Thursday, November 9th, 2023. And the general public, that's you, is invited. We will have more details on that this week. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who's giving away packets of Halmoni Adams' secret fish sauce recipe at the 2023 Kimchi Festival of Michigan on Saturday, November 4th, 2023, from 2 to 5 p.m. at the Royal Oak Senior Community Center on Murray Avenue in beautiful downtown Royal Oak, Michigan. While Aaron's doing that, please go on to iTunes and Radar Show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.